From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into this Tuesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, I have a uh, pretty long interview with former Ole Miss basketball player, former Ole Miss graduate assistant coach Nick Williams. He's now an assistant coach at Northwest Mississippi Community College in Senatobia. We talk about a lot of things. We talk about what's going on in the news today, his thoughts as a, uh, a young black man, starting his career, starting his family, what's going on in the world. Uh, we also take a, a really fun trip back in uh, memory lane a little bit, talk about a couple of the Ole Miss teams in particular that he played on, the 2011-2012 team, which came up just short of making the NCAA tournament. And then we talk about the 2012-2013 team that won the SEC tournament, knocked off Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament, and then suffered a uh, just befuddling, really, loss to LaSalle in the second round in uh, – Kansas City back in March of 2013. So we talk about a lot of those things with Nick. I, uh, I, I'll i say this on the podcast. I'll tell you again now. He's one of the, the favorite people I've ever covered. And I've covered a lot of people at Auburn, at, at Alabama, at LSU, at Ole Miss, uh, with the Saints, that uh, Major League Baseball, people that I really like. And, and he's absolutely one of my top handful of people that I, I covered during my time uh, at Ole Miss. He was the glue on that 2012-2013 team, a team that was absolutely fascinating to cover, to watch, to uh, watch them have that roller coaster of of the late February, March that they had. I kind of always wonder what would happen if that team would have beaten LaSalle. Because I think had that been a seven-game series, Ole Miss wins that series in five games. And we've talked about this before. I think Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss goes to the Final Four. I think they would have been so hot. They would have gone to Los Angeles. They would have been a massive story. Marshall Henderson would have been headline grabbing out there. And I think that season, that season was going places. And um, but the 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 magic of the tournament, if you will, is that it's 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 one game it takes one game. And uh, Ole Miss had a phenomenal game on that Friday against Wisconsin. Beat up a uh, one of Bo Ryan's really good teams. And then two days later, they just they just wasn't. They didn't answer the bell in some critical moments and lost to LaSalle. So we talk about a lot of that stuff with Nick. I think you uh, you all will enjoy it. We've got some other uh, stuff up on the site. Zach Barry has a defensive line big board that is up. Some defensive line candidates that Ole Miss is recruiting. He talks about them as prospects. He also kind of dives into um, a little bit about Ole Miss's chances with those guys as of now. Speaking of which, there's a content item up at Rivals.com, one of those fact or fiction things. It's uh, Rob Cassidy and Mike Farrell. And the lead topic is, it has Ole Miss recruiting improved under Lane Kiffin? The answer is yes. The second answer is it's June the 2nd in a pandemic, in a dead period. It's frustrating, honestly, as a publisher. I didn't know this was coming out. It's no big deal. It's just opinions, and people are certainly entitled to their opinions. For the record, Farrell says it's fiction that Ole Miss is recruiting better. Cassidy says it's fact. I'm with Rob. That being said, look, here's the thing about as MJ Daniels decommitted yesterday, people say, what does that mean? Not much. It's June the 2nd in a pandemic, in a dead period. This is going to be a recruiting season unlike any other. The NCAA has extended the the recruiting dead period through the end of uh, the end of July. The high school seasons certainly appear to be on pace to begin in August. So realistically, it's going to be September in all likelihood before Ole Miss, this coaching staff, can bring 2021 kids to campus. So it's going to be a late calendar. They're, but they're going to get an opportunity to see what this team looks like on the field. See what this program feels like. They're going to. It appears that the uh, the the COVID data is headed in that direction, which is very positive from a just pure football standpoint. They're going to get an opportunity to do that, and now 
It's going to be more of a traditional calendar. Is that a setback for Ole Miss? Absolutely. It's a setback for any first-year staff. If you're Sam Pittman at Arkansas, if you're Mike Leach at Mississippi State, I know I'm probably forgetting someone. If you're uh, Elia Drinkwitz at Missouri, it's absolutely a setback. You wanted to bring kids to campus in the spring. You wanted to bring kids to campus in June. You wanted to let them and their families get to know you and your staff, get to see, get to feel the what the program feels like. It's impossible to do that over a Zoom call. Uh, it's impossible to do that just over the phone, via text, Twitter, d- direct messages. You can't do it that way. So it's absolutely a setback. Is it going to change the the complexity of, of Ole Miss's signing class? I think so, probably. But is it the end of the world? No, it's not. They're going to be able to bring guys in. It probably sets the calendar back half a year to a year on the rebuild, uh, on the retooling, whatever you want to use, whatever term you want to use. But uh, that's that content's out there. It's at Rivals.com. I'm sure it's going to be debated on the message board throughout the day. So there's my uh, there's my input on it. Um, I'm with Cassidy, not with Farrell on this one. But you know, everyone's entitled to his opinion, and that's fine. So uh, we'll, we'll get to all of those things. Uh, we'll have a podcast tomorrow as well. I'm not sure exactly what. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But we'll podcast the rest of the week here on uh, MPW Digital. Uh, Zach Barry and I will have a soft verbal later in the week, taping a mind on my money uh, later today. So we'll have podcasts to you throughout the week. We taped a uh, greatest pod in the South yesterday. I'll get that to you uh, today on uh, the podcast, as on uh, our network of podcasts, on, the, on Twitter, on um all of our platforms as soon as I can. So before we get started, let me tell you about uh, the Oxford Exxon. It's Highway 6 West in Oxford. Uh, download the Speed Pass Plus app. It makes it uh, super easy to fill up your car, pay at the pump, don't have to go in, don't have to touch a lot of things, uh, nice and easy. Uh, if you're uh, worried about germs and viruses and things of that nature, it's the way to go. You can also head inside and uh, head in and you can... Uh, fill up yourself. You uh, Great snacks, great uh, beer selection, sodas, daiquiris. Uh, they've got the ribs, plate lunches, everything there at the Oxford Exxon. Great people. They've been with us now for a long time. We really appreciate you if you are passing through Oxford, heading into Oxford, leaving Oxford. Make that a, uh, a stop as you come in, as you leave. And if you, obviously, if you live in or around Oxford, make it a, make it a place where you go fill up. Uh, your tank, and yourself there at the Oxford Exxon right next door to the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is completely up to you. Uh, what I would do, if I got the quote, is uh, I'd go ahead and hop into a Ford today. I've done that. My wife's in a Ford. One of my daughters is in a Ford. We love it. The service is incredible. Corey and the people at Clark Ford want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy, and they'll prove that to you when you make that call. 662-257-1900. And uh, Nick Williams and other guests join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters on the Water is open. It's located at the Sardis Marina, so come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi uh, catfish platters along with gourmet burgers and Louisiana-style po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread. The hours are uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays from 3.30 to 10, Friday through Sunday 11 to 10. They have a newly expanded picnic-styled dining area, signature appetizers including Zydeco shrimp and crawfish egg rolls, uh, live music uh, coming soon, and they also have uh, their fun cocktails including their famous house frozen margaritas. You can still get to go. You can still get the curbside pickup. That's available. 662-712-6162. Speaking of rafters, let's go to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline and former Ole Miss basketball player Nick Williams. My friend Nick Williams joins us on the podcast. Uh, Former Ole Miss player, former Ole Miss graduate assistant. He's now a coach at uh, Northwest Community College there in Senatobia. Nick, as always, man, uh, great to talk to you. Hope you're well. I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on, Neil. Um, we're going to talk about basketball. We'll have some fun in a minute, but I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to kind of get your thoughts on what's happening in our world right now. Um, 
you uh, you're an African American young guy uh, starting a family, getting your career going. Um, I know that you're like a lot of people. You you sometimes want to turn the television off, want to turn the Twitter off, but you can't help but notice what's happening kind of in our country here in the last, I don't know, week or so as people listen to this. Just kind of take me through what your thoughts have been from from your perspective. Uh, man, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me on, man. Um, um, been knowing you for a while, and uh, you're, you're a stand-up guy. So it, is, I, I, it was no hesitation for me when um, we had a talk and asked me to, you know, come on your, your podcast. But um, like everyone else, man, initially – I was shocked. I was saddened by, you know, um, what happened to um, George Floyd. And um just, just felt hurt, man. And, you know, just a, a bunch of emotions that, you know, have come over me that, I, you know, I've been feeling for a while. Over time, man, you see some stuff happen. You know, the injustices happen and, and, and people not get punished for it. And um, you just don't know, know how to feel. Um but each day you get up and you, and you keep pushing forward, hoping for a better day. And um, obviously you don't want, you know, people to get hurt during a time like this. But um, but it's just good to see people coming together and fighting for a, a good cause. And um, just, you know, trying to get our voices to be heard. And um, when you have the chance to, to talk to somebody like you, um that's always been an advocate for doing the right thing and, you know, trying to help people. Um, I had to jump at it because, like I said, man, I've been knowing you for a while, and and you've always spoke truth whether people liked it or not, and um, that's something I've always commended. I appreciate all that, Nick. That's very nice of you to say. <laughs> Sometimes people did not like it. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I have a question, and and – you know, I've written about this a little bit in the last few days because I, I cannot relate to your experience. I can't. It's, right. not, it's not. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's nobody's fault. It just is. I, I uh, I'm, I'm white. I grew up in in uh, North Louisiana. I uh, I went to school at at Ole Miss, and then I went to school at Louisiana Monroe, and and then I I've, I've had a career that's taken me. Uh, we've crossed paths. We, you you grew up in Mobile. I big part of my career was in mobile so we've been to we've been to similar places but you know we we don't see the world exactly the same way probably just because of the way that we're different and as as a white person sometimes i catch myself saying you know i don't really know what i can do to help other than express my feelings to to friends like you and friends that i grew up playing uh playing sports with and and uh, you know, grew up going to school with in Louisiana, who I know are hurting and 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 are my age and and raising families and and all of those things that that we're all doing. So I'm curious when when you talk to someone like me who says, "Hey, I want to do my part to help. I want I want you to know that that you're heard. Uh, I want you to know that you're seen." But you know, I, I can't I can't relate to what it's like to be African American. I, there's no way that I can. What's what's kind of your answer to that? Um. Uh- Matter of fact, I was just talking to one of my, my good buddies that was on staff with me while I was at Ole Miss when I was a grad assistant, and he asked the same question. And um, I told him, I was like, man, just, hey, keep doing what you're doing, spreading love. And um, I told him that, hey, man, you didn't have to text me or you didn't have to call and check up on me and all that type of stuff, but you did anyway. And I saw on Twitter that, you know, that he's reposted some stuff and he's spoken out and, you know, uh, um, like the few tweets that I, that I, that I, um, that I came across. And, you know, that's only, that's the only thing we can ask for, man, that, that you use your voice and that you use your, your platform to speak out against, you know, some of the things that we go, that we go through, man. And that's the only thing anybody can ask for. I'm not asking for you to, you know, go out there and take a bullet for me or go out there and, and jeopardize your livelihood or jeopardize your you know, your family's safety and all that. I'm not asking for that. I'm just asking for for somebody who's you know, who 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 see what we go through and for you to call yourself my friend. So man, stand up for me, man. You know, um when you when you're around some people, you know, that you've been friends with for a while and you know, they say some racist stuff or they do some some things that are out of pocket, just say, Hey man, no, we're not we're not gonna do that here or or you you can't be around me doing that type of stuff. That type of stuff goes a long way. 
you know, and, and just seeing small stuff like that, man, it filled my heart, you know, over the weekend and all that type of stuff, man. So I've been encouraged from, you know, just seeing a lot of stuff, man. And, and it just, it makes me feel so much better to see people who don't look like me, who I've come in contact with over the years, you know, step up and, you know, um, um, give a voice to uh, some stuff that we've been trying to say for years and years and years. And uh, like I said, it just fills my heart, man. And, you know, I, I get emotional just just watching people, you know, stick up for us, man. And it's just been great to see. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's not funny. You're right. It's touching. I, it, oh, I, I do Peloton a lot. I, I, I enjoy Peloton. People make fun of me about it, but... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm pretty uh i'm pretty avid uh avid peloton user and and i i do a lot of different instructors classes but one of the one of the instructors that that i like a lot is uh is alex toussaint and uh, uh he's he's african-american and uh but he's just he's just funny he's very inspirational his, his classes are are will kick your ass and uh, I just, I just like him. His, his Jordan ride, uh, the last dance ride that he did is, is probably, uh, the, I set a PR twice doing a personal record twice doing, <laughs> doing his class. Cause I just, I like Alex and, and I saw his tweet today that, that said, you know, I'll speak when I'm ready and he's not ready to speak. And, and what I was heartened by was the, the responses on Twitter to take your time. We'll be here to listen. Mm-hmm. We'll be here to listen when you're ready to talk. And and I thought that was really cool. Uh, it it was there was like, hey, there's no pressure for you to talk right now. You you talk when you're ready to talk. You you can speak your mind and 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 let things off your heart when you're ready to. And I, I and the way people responded to that, I thought thought that was really cool. That even amidst all of the riots and the craziness and and the stuff that's very obviously, you know, there's a difference between and you can see it on television. I mean, you can see what is a real protest and what's people taking advantage of an opportunity or people that that are pushing an agenda that is completely separate from from what this is but you can see what's genuine and and the genuine stuff has resonated with a lot of people right right um i think a a a good thing that's happening is some of the protesters are you know saying and i've seen some videos where they 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 stop people from breaking stuff and you know, tearing up stuff. So that was a good thing to see, man, that, you know, a lot of people who are, are, are out there for the correct thing and the right thing aren't letting people hijack, you know, you know what's going on and, and trying to bring on ulterior motives and all that type of stuff. So that's been good to see. Um, but I'm happy that, that people from all walks of life are out there and, and marching and, and you know, um, speaking truth to power, man, and that, that, you know, a change needs to happen. You know, but but we know it's not going to take, you know, it's not going to be swift or it, it's going to take some time. So I'm just encouraged by everybody that's out there, and, and I'm happy, man, that we've been able to come together, you know, for such a, you know, a, a tragic, you know, um, instant. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. One day we're going to get back to normal when we do. A lot of parties to catch up on, a lot of get-togethers that will need to take place, that will want to take place, wedding receptions, rehearsal dinners, graduation celebrations, and more. And the Iron Horse Grill is your answer to be able to enjoy that moment. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250- to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's the largest beverage caterer in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Uh, We're also brought to you by Dead Soxy. We've been telling you about this is an incredibly strange time. We're all living in millions of us all over the world have been impacted by these unusual events. And the Dead Soxy team hasn't been immune to that situation either. Uh, they've uh, faced some tough choices, and what they've done is instead of cutting costs and jobs, they're thinking about things a little differently. They want to keep their team intact, paid, and employed, and they need your help to make it happen. In the spirit of people helping people, they've decided to run a first-of-its-kind support sale. They have slashed their prices site-wide, $6, $9, $11 a pair. They'd rather you get their socks discounted so they can keep paying their team 
rather than worrying about margins at times like this. It's deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. We're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with the Nest and Wild mattress. It's a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last. A lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress, but not Nest and Wild. Every one is 12 inches thick. They're all American-made, and it's a uh, fantastic deal because we're throwing in a podcast discount. Go to nestandwild.com, order your mattress, enter the podcast code REBEL20, that's REBEL20, get 20% off your purchase. Your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Brought to you by Pinnacle Trust, Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. Cookie-cutter financial planners put you in a box. Pinnacle Trust builds a box just for you. To learn more, go to Pintrust.com. That's P-I-N-N-Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. And we're brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. Been with us a long time. We'd appreciate you staying uh, loyal to them as well here in these weird times. You're in a, you, you want a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan is where you need to head. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. I hate to put you on the spot here, but you've been in a lot of places. You've been in Mobile and Bloomington, Indiana and Oxford, Mississippi and all and, and overseas. Have have you ever been racially profiled by law enforcement? Um, I can't say I, I have knowingly. Maybe I have, um, but I didn't really think about it. Or maybe I was, you know, maybe. I, I can't say I have and I can't say I haven't. But I've, I've, I've seen some, you know, whether it's fans at games or, or sure. stuff like that, you know, say stuff. Or, but it's, it's just... Especially in in that arena, man. When when it's sports, how it's so weird that people can cheer for you and come up and ask you for an autograph and just say, "Hey, I love you." Take pictures with you, and then you know you see them when you play against an opponent or you go into an opponent's arena. They say all this crazy stuff about your mom, about you know, about uh, 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 black this and yeah. inward this. The racial stuff and inside like, the arena <laughs> is just—it's mind-boggling when you hear it. Yeah. <laughs> And when you're playing, you you kind of like, huh? What? But then you you, you after the game, you go home and you think about it. I'm like, dog, did he just call me that? Or did this person just say this to me when he just you know just shook this guy's hand five minutes earlier or something like that? But it's always been weird like that. But you know, stuff like that, you just feel like, hey man, if nobody's putting their, their hands on you or threatening you with violence, man. You just kind of really just you don't really think about it. Yeah, but words hurt. I mean, people can say what they, people can say what they want. I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, you're not physically injured when someone's uh, yelling at you and 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 saying disgusting things that they would never say to your face. Right, right, right. But it hurts. I mean, you, you're you you might be a big, strong athlete, but you hear the words. The words. The words. Uh, you, your your mind and your heart absorb them. Right, for sure. And I just always I used to think like, man, what did I do to make this guy so mad? Is, is it because I just made this three or what? Like, what did I do to make this guy hate me so much? And, like, and I think that's the biggest, the, the hardest thing for people like me to, to wrap our heads around. It's like, man, I don't know you. I've never seen you before in my life. So what did I do, you know, to make you so mad? And and when you tell people stuff like that, some of your white friends or they they don't they kinda sometimes like, Man, for real or I can't believe that and it's hard for them to believe that, man, just because my skin is a darker shade than yours, a different color than yours that 
you hate me so much. And, like, I've never understood that, man. Like, I have no control over how I look or what color my skin is. But for some reason, like, you hate me. And, I'm, and I just don't know. And we don't know why. And that, I will never know why, I guess. Was it worse in the Big Ten or in the SEC? Whew. I'd say the Big Ten. Um, like this, you know, you know how it is, man. Mississippi has the stigma, and I've met so many wonderful people here in Oxford and just the state, you know, um, all together. Um, but yeah, man, the Big Ten was 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 man, and people don't <laughs> people think Northwestern is this 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 great school, this progressive school, man. I've heard some crazy, and I only went there once, but I heard some crazy stuff playing at Northwestern, man. Some crazy stuff. Yeah, and that's a and that's a school that that attracts you know a lot of what's the word I'm looking. I mean, a lot of like really wealthy elite people from. When I say elite, I mean you know, uh, uh, money wise from from uh-huh. all, from all over the country. I mean that's a you know you you got to have some coin in addition to an SAT score to to get into Northwestern. I mean that's a that's a different that's a different deal than you know getting into LSU for example. For sure, man, and, and you know they don't have the stigma of of this and that, but man, and we were terrible my freshman year in Indiana, and I'm like, dude, we are probably not gonna win this game, dog. So why are you so mad? But um, but it was it was also good to have some of your teammates come after the game and be like, hey, man, this dude was a, you know, was a piece of crap. He didn't have to say that, or you know. We don't believe some of the things that these people believe. So it was always good to have good teammates and all that type of stuff. So, but man, uh, for the most part, you know, uh, all the places I've been, I've, you know, been been treated well and all that type of stuff. But you know how it is, man. There's always a few, few, few places that just get out of control. Let's jump around a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm, I, I want to talk yeah. about your Ole Miss career because you played on. Always, people ask me. Hey, are you going to write a book? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not talented enough to write a book. And they'll say, if you could write a book about a team, what team would you write a book about? And I'll think about that because I've covered some really interesting teams in my career. I covered an Auburn football team that was fascinating, full of just really interesting characters. And then I covered your team with you and Marshall Henderson and Murphy Holloway and Reginald Buckner and and Jarvis. Oh my God. And, and a just a fascinating and AK and 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 a fascinating collection of of human beings, and I've told people this over the years. I'm like, you guys do not understand how volatile that group was, and how much Nick Williams was the absolute glue that held it together. I mean, no, if, I think you'll agree with this. If you don't, we can we can discuss it. I don't think you were the, necessarily the best basketball player on that team. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But you were good, a very good player, and a, and a key player from a basketball standpoint. But your contributions to that team, just holding it together over the course of a season, I don't know that, and and I don't know that anybody can can truly understand it. And I don't think people like me who covered that team did justice to telling the story. Frankly, man, let me tell you something, Neil. I've had this discussion, and I can be. I can go as long as you want me to, or I can be as short as you want me to. Go for it. But let me tell you, let me tell you this, man. I'm gonna start off by saying this: all these reality shows and all these cameras and all this stuff, man. Let me tell you that 2013, that 2012-2013 team. If a camera had followed us that entire year, let me tell you something. Dog. Nobody on that team would be playing basketball anymore. <laughs> Half of us would be in jail. Um, like. None of the coaches would be able to work anywhere. Like, it was, man, let me tell you something. Um, and I, I have a unique perspective of it because I, I feel like I was so close to everybody on the team. Like, I'd had a different relationship with every person on the team, man. And if you, you can ask a lot of these guys, if you ever talk to them, they were, you know, I, I was, I had a unique relationship with whether it was with Marshall or Reggie or, or Jarvis or AJ or Snoop or Millenhouse or any one of those guys, you you was, you can ask those guys, you feel like, man, I was close with Nick. Or, you know, you know how it is. Some locker rooms are, you know, fractured. You know, like some guys talk to this guy, some guys talk to that guy. But I made it a point that I would, you know, try to get to know every guy 
the same. And obviously, I had a better relationship with guys that I played with the, the longest, like Nerf and Ridge and, and Jarvis and stuff like that. But um, that year, man, I have no idea how we made it as far as we did, uh, whether it was AJ Tanner's ACL, me getting hurt, um, Reggie wouldn't eat pregame meal and stuff like that. Or Murph didn't feel like practicing that day, or Ray really didn't feel like practicing that day. Um, we, I like, I, I've had this conversation with so many people. I do not have a clue on how we made it as far as we did. And to top it off, I hadn't even talked about Marshall yet. Who was, <laughs> who was a, a, a maniac? Man, it was, it was. I had so much fun. I had so much fun. That team. Marshall was such a uh, polarizing figure. You either loved him or hated him from a from a fan standpoint. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who took fan heat? My God, Marshall Henderson took heat in in opposing arenas, and quite frankly, a lot of times he just deserved it. I mean, he asked for it, he felt of it, he begged for it. But you were you were around that, and in some ways, that team. I mean, you know, when you guys came to town, it wasn't hey, Ole Miss is coming to town. It was it was a team that. People wanted a piece of you guys because of because of the way Marshall kind of carried himself. Right, and it was it was different for us that year. Um, the two previous years that I was on the team, we won twenty games, yeah, but you know we were an NIT team, and contrary to what other people believe, I felt like that 2011, 2012 team should have made the tournament, but that's for another day. Um, but people didn't like people didn't take us serious, man. Yeah, they're they're okay, they can beat you, but. They never really, you know, fans, from the fans' perspective, they never really had that much hate for us. But that year, it was like once they saw this little six one, six two, 170-pound white dude coming to jam, like people would say some cra- I'm talking about some nasty stuff. They would talk about his parents, talk about how he got kicked out of his house, talk about he was an orphan, just all types of crazy stuff. And... I think what most people hated the most about him, they felt like, man, there's no way this dude can beat us, darling. How is this dude doing this stuff? But the best thing about Marshall, dog, he made shots, man. Like, um, he, we we fed off of him, but he just made shots. Like, he wasn't conventional. He wasn't taking people off of the dribble. Like, he wasn't Moody or Chris Warren and stuff like that. But you, you could see this dude, like, one thing about him that I love the most, like people don't realize, like this dude jump. He got so high on his jump shot, like he, like you don't, you don't normally you don't see great jump shooters, you know, have that much height on their jumper. Like they, 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 like because it, it kind of it takes away from you know, the direction of the ball and stuff like that. He got so high on his jump shot, man, and he was one of the few people that could in a dead sprint, man, like we would set these screens for him on the baseline and stuff like that. I would be the other guy coming off the other screen. And he would, and people would just, I, I scored so much because people would just fly at him. But even when people flew at him, he could stop on a dime. And I've never seen anybody do this besides like Ray Allen or, or Clay Thompson or something like that. Somebody go full speed and stop on a dime. And he didn't need to be square like most guys. He would just catch it and rise up. And I'm talking about, man, he shot the ball with two hands. It wasn't pretty. But when I tell you, man, this dude, like, you know, dude can get hot. And once he made one or two, he can be 0 for 10. Once he made one or two, man, you're in trouble. He was an absolute microwave. You're exactly right. He would he would miss eight, nine shots, and you'd think he just doesn't have it. And then he'd make one, and something with his body language would change. And then he'd make another one, you say, uh-oh. Here we go. And, I mean, he, he just – there was no such thing as a heat check with him either. I mean, once he got hot, he was – he really, anywhere across midcourt, he was a danger. And you're right. He was so much – he was so much more athletic on offense than he was defense. <laughs> oh, my God. I got a funny story, dog. One time – I don't know how it happened. Marshall – you know, Marshall didn't get steals or anything. We would hide him on defense and all that type of stuff. But one time he got a steal – and he got a fast break. And it was one of the few fast breaks he had. He had more than people realized. But it was one of the few fast breaks he had. He got a fast break. He was down there by himself. Went up, tried to dunk it with two hands, missed it. Took the ball went out of bounds or something like that. Maybe a media timeout. Somebody called a timeout. We're in the huddle. AK is going nuts. He's going crazy. He looks at Marshall. 
Like, Marshall, what are you doing? You're white. I'm like, what? He's like, dog, you can't dump. You're white. And it was hilarious. I cannot remember what game it was, but Marshall couldn't help but to laugh, man. But, man, a true testament to AK. Like, he would go crazy on us, man. He was one of the toughest people I've ever had to play for. Probably the toughest guy ever had to play for, man. But he was so genuine. He loved us, man. And he gave us so much freedom, man. I think that's one of the reasons people hate him. Like, he didn't, you know, it looked like we were just chaotic out there. And it didn't look like we had a lot of structure, man. But we actually did. And, man, I, I commend AK, man. He's a, He's a good friend of mine. And but he just gave us so much freedom, man. He just let us be us, man. And it was it was in stark contrast to a lot of these coaches out here who, you know, who who are so hands on and all that type of stuff, man. You win in a lot of different ways. But I think AK changed with his teams and I think that was, you know, the genes of AK a lot of people didn't get to see. Yeah, you know, because that team that we're talking about right now, it was it was kind of a difficult team to coach because it, it was right. it was sort of kind of thrown together it, it didn't necessarily make a lot of sense and by the way I agree with you that 11-12 team should have made the tournament in today's metric would have made the tournament uh, right was was often a very good team I remember that I think it was you guys played Tennessee in the SEC tournament quarters mm-hmm. and yep. one of the best games I've I've ever covered uh if I remember right and just tell me if I'm crazy was was Ron Slay in that was that Ron Slay he wasn't in that game was he Trying to think who was on. Who's that? I'm trying to think who was on Tennessee's team that year. That game that you guys played in New Orleans. That was a, a great basketball game. Man, it was a heavyweight fight. They had Stokes. They Stokes. Had, That's who I was thinking uh, about. Yep. They had Mayman. They had um, uh, uh, Trey Golden. They had the kid who played for the Cavaliers. What's his name? Um, I can't think of his yeah, name. They had they had some NBA guys on. They had some NBA guys on that team. Kids that play for the Cavaliers, and the, and the other guy who plays for the um for the Seventy Sixers now used to be with Miami. I can't think of his name either right now. That that game though, no, but, it was double overtime if I remember right. I mean, back and right, forth. Right. It was it was to me it was it was what was was had to be so maddening about coaching Reggie Buckner is on that Friday night, Reggie Buckner might have been the best player on the floor. And on Saturday, I think you guys played Kentucky with the chance to. Uh, to it was Vandy. It was Vandy. Played Vandy. That's right. And if you beat yeah. if you beat Vandy, you're probably in. And and Reggie yeah. just doesn't show. He just he's not there. And 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 it was a is a mental thing. And uh, you know for for uh, you know for Andy that was that was a challenge. You're exactly right. I mean he one of the things I always admired about Andy covering him was he was so authentic. He he didn't sugarcoat. He protected his players, but only to a degree. And, right. and uh, you know, he, he, I, the one thing I always knew about him, and it, I used to laugh because what, along your lines, people would say he doesn't coach. And I would say there's nobody more prepared for a basketball game than Kennedy. Nobody. I mean, he is right. he's immensely prepared. His scout on the other team is so thorough. But sometimes it's a matter of, you know, you got to get players to execute those plans and – Sometimes he just had guys that just were kind of checked out mentally, and that happens at the college level. But it happened to that 11-12 team a couple times that, that turned out to be costly. And then so moving forward a year, I'm curious, the first time you saw – I know you heard about Marshall Henderson and that kind of thing. First time you saw him, did you think, oh, come on? Man, I'm telling you, dog. AK was telling us – like me and AK, like we had so many talks. I would, he would call me in his office and we would – Talk about. I don't know why he felt like I was just this some leader dude, but that's what that's the guy he turned me into. So we would have talks, and he would talk about Marshall. Man, we got this kid who could do this, who could do that, and I'm like, okay, okay, cool. So when he walks in, I'm just like, there's no way this dude is about to. <laughs> and the year before that, I think they won like the JUCO national championship and all that type of stuff. Yeah, and he was the leading scorer, and I didn't respect it at that time. But now being a JUCO coach, oh man, I got all the respect in the world for it, and. Uh, it just shows me how great he was in, in, in college. And he comes in, he walks in, and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, there's no way. So we have, I think it was individual. And we can have like two hours of individual instruction a week. 
So we would go out there, work on individual stuff, handling, shooting, all that type of stuff. And like the last 20 minutes, AK is just this, this, this evil dude, dog. He just likes to see people just get destroyed one-on-one in practice and stuff like that. So we were playing two-on-two. And I guess it was uh, maybe me and Jarvis on the same team against Snoop and Marshall in some kind of way. No, it was me and me, yeah, me and no, me and Marshall against Snoop and Jarvis. So I was going Jarvis. They had we had switched on the pick and roll or something like that, and they kept doing it. Over, and Snoop was killing Marshall. I don't. He probably don't remember this, but both of us were dog tired from like our workout or something like that, and both of us just start throwing up on the side. And he was looking like, um, uh, he was looking at me like, dog, is this is this what it is? And I'm like, yes, man, but to hell with all that. I need you to get a stop right here, dog. And he just could not get a stop. And we know Marshall wasn't just this all-time defensive player. He, just, he played hard and he got steals and stuff like that. But when I tell you, he used to go through it in practice, man. But then when the, when the lights come on, he would turn into a freaking Reggie Miller, man. And it was just a sight to see. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis. So you're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the float down option where you can lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford, also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window, and GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also, ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tip Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662 767 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've getting picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. So, so that team gets off to a hot start, and then, and then frankly, it falls apart. I mean, you talk about people telling it like it is. I, I remember I, Andy and I have talked about it a lot since then. I asked him, I said, were you guys lost in Starkville? I mean, they, they, their RPI was like, I don't know, it was 240-something. It was basically, that was it. You guys got on the bus, and it was over. I mean, I mean you know, barring... I mean, I thought I, I just thought there's no way this team bounces back from that. They they have they have rock bottomed. Uh, y'all's body language was bad that day in Startville. Andy was mad at me for a question that I asked, uh, and then I think he got to Oxford and found out that I was prob- I was I was probably right. Uh, when, when when you guys got on the bus that day in Startville, I mean, you're a smart guy. Did you think we're done? Oh man, you would think I'm lying, man, but I didn't. Well, and this was the reason why we we had, we were playing great. Then AJ got hurt, who was the guy who, for all intents and purposes, he couldn't take Reggie's spot, but he gave us great minutes. And it and it and it kind of having AJ behind him, Reggie knew like, hey man, he, he's not me, but man, they can get behind with this dude. So AJ getting hurt, tearing his ACL, I was not having him. And then I tear my plantar fascia in my foot the same game when I was I was playing great. I felt like I was averaging double figures coming off the bench at that time. Um, so that's two. And then we, we lose to Kentucky that day. And then we right after that, we have to go to Florida. And then we lose that game. Um, we come back and we play Mississippi State. 
and we beat them at home. But then my first game back, we lose to Missouri, and then we go on the road and lose to A&M. And then I think we beat Georgia or something like that. But then once we go to Mississippi State and we lose, um, we were in the locker room. Everybody was down and stuff like that. But then we on the ride back, and I talked to Murph. I said, hey, Murph, man, I'm, I'm feeling better. They said, man, I know we lost this game. But, man, we can still do it. And I think we come back and beat Auburn at home. And you, I think that was the start and, of it. You came back and you beat Alabama at home. And then you went to yeah. uh, you went to LSU. And it was a game that, that, frankly, nobody talks about. And I look back on it and think that that was the day that – because you guys built a huge lead against Alabama. And it almost got away from you. They came back and, and, made, mm-hmm. it, and made it close. And uh, you guys went down to Baton Rouge. And I went. I went because <laughs> – I, I knew what I'd written a week before, and I wanted to be accountable for what I had written. So I was the only Ole Miss uh, beat writer there that day. And uh, you guys played, I thought, your best game of the season. And and uh, to to end the regular season, you, you absolutely whipped LSU um, on, yeah. on on their senior night. And I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's a lot different team than the team that I saw a week ago in Startville. Man, and the the reason for that, we uh, we have some great assistant coaches: Al Pink and Sergio Rucco, uh, Bill Armstrong, guys who who didn't let us get down, <clears throat> and they were always the common voice in our locker room. You know, when, when AK was always on top of his negative and all that type of stuff, um, they always came in the locker room. Hey guys, hey this that this that man, we're gonna be okay, we're gonna be okay. And I like again, that that just shows you the brilliance of you know AK being the head coach, man, hiring some guys who who compliment you in areas that you may not be your best at. And um, for like people know AK is this cool laid back dude, man, but he is a man dog. He is a guy who will get into you, man. He's he, he he don't believe in that that soft stuff that man everything will be okay man he feels like hey man you're a man you take what I say and move on and um some players couldn't handle it that's why you would always see two and three guys transfer or just a couple guys not be back the next year man and it's why some, when it's, some people, it's why when Bill Armstrong left it was a bigger loss for that program than people on the outside thought it would be. Oh, for sure, man. Bill had us playing wiffle ball, had us playing kickball, all that type of stuff. And it just helped us, you know, build camaraderie. Um, and it was good for us. And we just went out there and played. Obviously, we almost blew it against Mizzou. Like, for the next three or four games, we were down at half. And we, I'm telling you, man, Neil, when we, and those SEC um, tournament games, we were in the locker room laughing at halftime because – we had been there so many times already. We were down 10 against Vandy, who was the worst team in the league or whatever it was at the time. We were down 10 against We were having fun. We were laughing in the locker room because we knew, hey, man, we're going to be all right. Same thing against Florida. I, I can't remember how much we were down at halftime. But, man, we were in the locker room laughing, knowing that we would come out in the second half and do what we did. And against Florida, we cut, we cut that lead down. We, it was a tie game. with like, you know, 18 minutes left to go in the second half. Yeah, it was the, that that tournament was was fascinating. You guys had the the Millinghouse shot that allowed you to yeah. es- escape against Missouri, and all y'all's games against Missouri were it, they felt like rivalry games. The two teams just did not like each other for whatever reason. I mean, it just it, it, this, this is the way it looked like to me. It looked like it was kind of personal. I, I, what, what mm-hmm. people, people said stuff, you could tell there was a lot of a lot of talking on the floor. And then uh, you're right, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt totally ran out of gas, and you guys just just took it took it to them in the second half, and and then you played a very good Florida team and beat them. You make the tournament. It had to be. I remember seeing you in the hallway at, at Bridgestone that day, and and you looked a little shocked. I mean, just kind of like wow, just maybe some exhaustion and obviously happiness and relief and all of those things. Just that moment when you realized, hey, we're going to the tournament. We did it. Uh, we won the SEC, all that stuff. That that has to be one of the highlights of your playing career, if not the highlight. Oh, for sure, man. After the, I had to get an IV dog. I was I was dehydrated. I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. I was I was I was going. I was telling you, my uh, my wife now. She was my girlfriend then. She was in the back trying to find me because they say I was I was going to the hospital and all that type of stuff. They had me hooked up to all these. IVs and tubes and all that type of stuff, but it was man, it's it's, it's something that I, I think about 
you know, almost every day about like how special um, that time was for for me and, and and guys that were on the team. But I think what made it even more special was coming back and we, we flew back home and to have the the watch party and the tag pad. That was great. But what made that even better was how when we were we were winning and we were ranked all these sellouts and all that type of stuff and then we lose the game or two and we come back home and the tab pad is you know is, is you see all these empty seats and we would talk about that a lot man how like um just wanting people to come to games and all that but we knew we had to win but we felt like we had built up enough you know equity early on in the season that hey man we won all these games these people are going to stick it out with us and that wasn't the case you would come back and, 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 and you would see all these empty seats you like Man, what happened? But that kind of that, that that fueled us and that fueled us, man, and us winning that game. It just it just it just showed us a lot that you know all we needed was us because the first game against you know Missouri in the tournament, you see all these blue shirts trying to see who's Kentucky going to play next and all that type of stuff. And you look up, you see a couple of our fans sitting behind our bench, and then we win. And then you see the next game. He said, okay, we got a little bit more fans. Okay, we do rally. And I'm like, oh, oh shoot, they're about to play in the SEC championship game. And then it's a packed house, and it's half of us and half of Florida. And and we and we pulled it out, man. And it was just great to see. And it was great for our, our university that we, we finally got some some basketball, uh, some basketball things to cheer about here. How often do you think about that LaSalle game in the, in the second round? Man, I'm trying to trying to forget about it. I, um, I just think about all the stupid stuff we did, man. This was the first time that was the first game that we weren't up. That I mean, that we weren't down at halftime. So we were like, we were up like I can't remember five or six, and it was the first time in a long time we weren't we weren't happy in the like we because we felt like we should be beating this team like by way more than that. We were thinking about going to the Sweet Sixteen, going to L.A. and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And I man, it kind of it slipped away. Now I just think about all the stupid stuff. Me and Murph didn't block. We didn't box out. I had fi- I just just fouled a three point shooter, and I felt like I didn't foul him. But hey, they called a foul. And then on the on the next shot he missed, the guy um slips by me and Murph. We were supposed to pinch on the box out, and he gets the rebound and let and 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 um and shoots it back there. So that was a five point swing. And I just, oh man, I, I I wanted to kill myself after the game. You know, that was one of those. Uh, what I remember about that weekend was the the atmosphere in that arena for for y'all's game against Wisconsin was was really really good. And then obviously there was a ton of Kansas State fans there because they'd made the the short trip over to Kansas City. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking when LaSalle won, I don't know if that's a good thing. And everybody was like, "What do you mean?" I said, right. "Well." If K State's here on Sunday, I think because it was a Friday Sunday. If K State's here on Sunday, this place is going to be a zoo, and I thought you guys might have more energy in a crazy environment than you would the the environment that you had. Because really, that that when you guys played LaSalle that day, because Kansas played, they were in a different bracket, but they were in y'all's pod or whatnot. They played the first game, and when they got out. All the fans left, and the the arena kind of died a little bit. There wasn't a lot of energy in the arena. You sort of had to create your own energy, and I thought you guys kind of came out. I don't know, not flat, but you didn't have that same intensity that you'd had over the last couple of weeks. Right. Um, you can just tell by the guys we had on our team, man. Marshall fed off stuff like that, you know. Um, Reggie fed up stuff like that. Like underdogs, we've been the underdogs for so long. Oh, this wasn't supposed to be it. We weren't supposed to beat Wisconsin. Everybody was telling us how the style, they were, they were bigger than us and all that type of stuff. We were styles make fights and, and we wanted a good, a good matchup. And y'all kicked and all their that ass. It was, it was crazy. And we, y'all, y'all destroyed them. And we whooped them. Like yeah. they couldn't score on us. Like they couldn't, like they couldn't guard us. They couldn't do anything. And we think AK did. They, they coaches did a, a, a masterful job of getting us prepared for that game. Like we were excited that we got them. We were like, man, these dudes can't beat us, and we played that way. But when we played LaSalle with Mon Galloway, I had nightmares about him every <laughs> like. So I had nightmares about him for a week straight after that game. Like, man, we could not guard him. I had these other like, as you know, Lee Marshall and John, we want the you know fleetest to foot. 
But when you put some of these, these guys or quick tweet guys in front of us and all that, that we can't grab and hold on and all that type of stuff, we were going to be in trouble. And we had trouble regarding those guys. And, and their big guys could step out. And we weren't used to that. And um, they, they beat us. But that game haunts me, man, because we, we were supposed to make it to the Sweet 16 and all that, man. It just it kills me, dog. You talked a little bit about uh, Andy Kennedy. Let's talk, I know you spent a year on his staff. You also spent a year on Kermit Davis's staff. What What are your impressions of uh, of Kermit? Man, I think just being around him only a year, I think he's he's one of the smartest smartest people. Just, just basketball knowledge. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. Yeah. Um. I've played with some some guys that they know the game well, and obviously under AK and all that type of stuff. But man, his his knowledge of the game is 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 unmatched. Like he's been around the game for so long, so obviously you know he's gonna you know pick up on a lot of stuff. But just the way he he like I've I've never seen anybody as far as like he knows everything. Like he can watch. So many things at one time. I'm like, how do you see that? We're focusing on maybe like a ball screen action or something like that. So obviously the untrained eye or, or somebody like me who hasn't been in for that. Long, I'm just locked in on the ball screen trying to worry about what's going on, where the hedge is right or all that type of stuff. And he stops it and he's correcting some other guy who's standing in the corner who's not supposed to be right there. I'm like, I'm locked in on the ball screen. I didn't see that. But it's just, it's just great to see like the um, – and I asked him one time, and he just was like, he was like, well, well damn, Nick, I, I have been coaching for over 30 years, so I, I'm supposed to know who's supposed to be in what spot and all that type of stuff. But, man, it was, but it was different, though, watching AK and playing on AK and, you know, learning from AK for that year and then having to, you know, be under Kermit. But it was a smooth transition, and they treated me well. You're in coaching now. Tell me about your, uh, what, you've, what you've experienced as a, as a coach and, and kind of what your goals are. Um, I was. I, I I asked myself every day, man, what the hell am I doing? Why did I decide to do this? <laughs> because as a as a player, man, you can Coach Armstrong would always tell me, man, he's gonna be a good coach one day, and I would look at him like, you are out of your mind if you think I'm gonna coach playing with Reggie Buckner and playing with Murphy Holloway and all these type of dudes. I'm like, God, there's no way I can coach these dudes. I can barely hang around them on the court or off the court. Right now, I cannot coach somebody like this. But once you um, you get into it and you see the lives you change, um, it's, it's, it's good. And I wake up every day thankful that I, that I have the job I have, that I can go into, you know, the work. And, you know, because there's a lot of people out here doing things that, you know, they don't, they just to do it just to get a check. And I actually get to do something that I love. So it's been very fulfilling and um, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with what I do. Are you surprised that you like that part of it as much as you do? I know that you, you've always played basketball. You've always been a very good basketball player. That's been a, a, a huge part of your life. The, the being a mentor, that kind of thing, being doing, being recruiting, building relationships. Do you like that more than you thought you would? Oh yeah, I do. Um, I, I'm, I'm very surprised that I like it as much as I do. But as I've gotten older, I understand why. Um, I've been through. A lot in my life, I didn't. I, I grew up in a single parent home, um, grew up in a rough neighborhood, and I think me going through that growing up, it it helped me so much. You know, now when I have to recruit some of the kids who who come from some of the same type of background that I come from, who've experienced some of the same things that I've experienced, and it makes it so much easier to relate to these kids and relate to these these parents when I talk to them and I go sit in the living room and I have to tell them, hey. I, I want your son to come play for me, and I'm going to help him become a man and help him do some great things and help him get his education and all that type of stuff. And I feel like they believe me because I tell them my story. I tell them the stuff I went through, um, the, the the many, the, the two schools, that, the reason why I've had to transfer, and uh, they asked me just about a bunch of things that, you know, that I've went through myself. So it's not scripted. It's easy, it's easy to speak about something when I can just pull it from, from a place where I've been, and um, it's, it's been great. It's been awesome, man, and it just it just makes me feel a lot better that somebody who genuinely cares about these kids like I do and understand that 
hey, man, it's not always going to be great, but if you just keep working and you keep pushing and you believe in yourself, um, somebody that somebody that believes in you will eventually come along and try to help you. So that's what I try to tell them. And um, but so far, it's been, it's been working out for me. I don't know about you. I've got. I'm biased towards that that generation a little bit. There, I've got three teenagers: a 19 year old, a 17 year old, one that's about to be 14. And so, you know, yeah, I, I almost kind of I, I catch myself defending that age group. Obviously, I know my girls; their their group of friends have basically grown up in in my house, and I've seen I've, I've watched mm-hmm. all these, you know, little girls grow up to be college kids and high school seniors. So I'm, I, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm biased towards them. But these kids now, I think they have a a level of um, of realness, I guess that that maybe I know I didn't have when I was that age. Like I look at at my kids now, and I think, wow, you know, when I was seventeen years old, I didn't have social media. I couldn't get on the internet all day and and look at stuff. And I mean, I wasn't, you know, I mean, I, we we joke about, you know, if I wanted to see. If I wanted to see a naked girl. I had to get on. Uh, I had to go. I had to go to somebody's house and 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 hope they had HBO and hope that we could stay up late or hope that the dad had a Playboy or something. I mean, there's a different level of temptation for young people now. Do you do you find when you're recruiting them that uh, I mean, you know, they they can see through BS a lot faster than than maybe certainly I could when I was that age, or maybe you could when you were being recruited out of Mobile. I don't think so. Um, and a lot of guys our age or guys that are a little bit older than us or stuff like that, they try to they try to try to flip it and blame the kid and blame the generation and talk about this and talk about that and and I I, I try not to get into that because man, like you said, man, these kids I, I don't know if they are smaller than we were, but I just I just feel like they 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 experience so much more now at an earlier age than we had to yeah they're, like more, they, they're more worldly they're more grown up than we were oh for sure and um i just think that's what it is they 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 they, they can sense bs way way earlier than we could sense it because they they're experiencing now stuff way earlier than we did and um yeah i i feel like they, they I, I don't know i can't put a finger on it but I just I just know that these kids know what they want, and they aren't afraid to tell you what they want, and they aren't afraid to express say, "Hey, man, I don't I don't I don't feel like I need this, so I'm not going to use it, or I don't feel like what you're telling me is right, so I'm not going to do it." And some people can look at it and and kind of talk down on them and like, "Man, you need to listen to people who are older than you, who've experienced it and stuff like that." And I get that too. You should always be respectful to your elders and people trying to help you. But hey, man, like. It, it, it's not. It's not back in the day where you can just tell me, man. You can just pee on my head and tell me it's raining. Like, nah, man. I'm gonna look up and say, hey, man, this is not raining. And um, I think that's the good thing about this generation. Uh, last thing, you you mentioned your wife earlier. You guys have a uh, what six month old little girl. How's how's fatherhood treating you? Six month old little girl. How's fatherhood treating you? It's been great. It's been great. Um, a lot of sleepless nights early on. But she's growing now, and she's sleeping through the night now. So it's been, it's been great. Um, just as, I never thought I was going to be a father. I just thought I was going to be playing basketball my whole life. I didn't, you know, I had all these plans and all this type of stuff. But uh, man, it's been, it's probably the best. Well, I can't even say probably. It is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Um, I, I, I can't wait to take her to the to the gym with me. When she gets older and she can walk and understand what's going on, I can't wait um, for that to happen. But it's been a blessing, man. She's amazing. Her mom has been great, um, and I'm just happy that I can I can finally share that experience with my wife and my family, and uh, just try to be the best dad I could be. Well, man, I really appreciate the time. I, I, I've told you this before. I'll say it publicly. You're one of the the. Uh, uh, most enjoyable people that I've ever covered. I've covered a lot. I've been fortunate in my career to have gotten to cover a lot of really great guys and, and, and great people at different places. And you are uh, very much at the very top of that list. And so it was kind of fun to catch up with you and hope to do it again. Thanks, Neil, man. It's always great to talk to you, man. Appreciate you. All right, Nick. Take care of yourself, okay? All right, you too. Bye. Again, our thanks to Nick. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Really, one of the, the the great guys that I've covered uh, it, during my journalism career, uh, 
just a genuine guy. I always enjoyed talking to him. One of those people that uh, over the course of his career, I built a relationship with. And uh, that's sometimes that's the, the part of journalism, frankly, that sometimes kind of goes away uh, as the landscape has changed. And it's just part of it. But that was a fun time. And that was a really fun and fascinating team to cover. So thanks to Nick for his time today. Hope you all enjoyed that. We will be back with another podcast on Wednesday. Not exactly sure. We've got some, um, I guess, lines in the water, so to speak. So uh, we're working on some things there, but we'll have a podcast to you on Wednesday. We'll do a live show on Thursday evening at some point and uh, probably have something to you for Friday as well. Uh, Ole Miss players reported, began reporting yesterday. I saw some guys out at my gym last night working out. So uh, there are a lot of guys are in town. They're getting tested. Uh, all of that stuff. Voluntary workouts can begin on campus on June the 8th, so Monday. So uh, we'll start getting some. There's some pictures that are out there. We'll start accumulating some stuff and getting that to you as guys show up on campus. And we get closer to what appears to be the start of a uh, quasi-normal uh, football preseason. So until uh, tomorrow, hope you enjoy the interview with Nick Williams. Thanks for being here. Take care.